Jesus' most personal and powerful teachings are conversations with his disciples in the book of John. Nowhere else is his instruction both so simple and so deep. Take your place in the upper room to hear the heart of God that still speaks today. There's a story that I've shared with some of you before, but it's particularly powerful in light of the passage that we're going to be looking at today. It's also a, one of those stories that just continues to rattle in my heart and my life. It was told by Max Lucado, and the story is of a honeymoon couple. They had just celebrated their wedding and their reception, and late into the evening, they got into the car looking forward to their first night together as husband and wife at this beautiful, this beautiful honeymoon suite that they had rented. They drove many hours and they got there and, and it was late at night and they got their, uh, the key to get into the room and they went up to their room, opened the door, and it couldn't be more disappointing. It was just a fairly small room, it had a bathroom, it had a fold-out sofa that's what they were looking forward to. <laughs> and it had a, a door that they believed opened up to a closet. So they were um, too tired to deal with it that night. But after a very uncomfortable night on this very uncomfortable sofa bed, they, the husband goes down to let the hotel manager know what he thinks about their honeymoon suite. So he goes downstairs and he's letting them have it and the, and the manager's just very patient. He's listening and finally he says to the, to the groom, he said, you said there's a door leading into a closet. Did you open that door? And he goes back up and he opens the door and lo and behold, there is this beautiful room. You see, it was a honeymoon suite and they had spent the night in the outer room. As I think about this and their disappointment, you see, they had seen the pictures online and what they experienced that first night was nothing like what they had been promised. And I think there's a parallel for many when it comes to the Christian faith. We have many incredible promises that we read in scripture, and we're going to read about some of those this morning. And yet, we look at our experience, and we look at what the Bible teaches, and we wonder about that gap. Why am I not experiencing what I'm reading in the Bible? Why is my experience so different from what I'm seeing in the Bible and from what I hear from other believers? And what I want to suggest this morning is maybe we've just never opened the door. Maybe we're living in that outer suite, that outer room of the suite, and we've never opened the door. Now, there, when we talk about opening the door, there are many aspects to that. One, certainly, is opening our heart and our mind and our life and faith to follow Jesus, to say, 
you are my savior, I need you. I'm a sinful person in need of forgiveness. And I receive the sacrifice of Jesus for me. But it also means, Jesus, you're my savior, but you're also my Lord. What does it mean that we call Jesus Lord? As we see him often called throughout, not just the Bible, but the New Testament. What does that mean? It means that Jesus You're my king. You're the one that I follow. You're the one who has authority over my life. This morning, what we're going to see is we're going to see the connection between obedience and faith and the love of Jesus for us. And we're going to read these incredible promises, these amazing blessings that are available to us now if we open the door, if we respond to the call of Jesus together. And so this morning, we're going to be looking at a passage that we're actually going to look at over two weeks, because there is teaching about the Holy Spirit in here, and there's teaching about obedience here. These two themes are absolutely critical, and it's one of the reasons I think I love John 14 so much. In fact, I've often thought, if I just had Two chapters of the entire Bible, I would want John 14, and I would want Romans 8. If that's all I could have, I'll take those two. I already have them, so you can't pick them. But if you want to read along with me, I'm going to begin in uh, verse 15 of John 14, and I'm going to read to verse 24. And again, we're going to just focus this morning. We're not going to focus a lot on the Holy Spirit. We're going to do that next week. But I want to talk about obedience to Jesus. Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you, you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. This is extraordinary. These incredible promises that are conditioned, many of them conditioned upon our opening the door and choosing to follow Jesus. When my wife and I were raising our children um, before they moved out, there was, it was really important to us, as you've heard me say before, that they would understand the relationship between God's amazing grace, his love for us even though we're sinners, his calling us to himself even when we're in rebellion, the relationship between the grace of God and obeying the commands of God. 
Because what I believe and what Beth believes and what we believe the Bible teaches is that obeying the laws of, of God, the commands of God, are the most powerful way that we express love for God. If you love me, obey my commands. It's also the path to becoming what God has intended us to be, he, what he has created us to be. I have, uh, uh, we have a couple of cars, and, and what we do when there's something wrong with the car, guess where we look? We look at the internet to teach us about our car. Now, one of our cars is an old Camry, and I don't look up a, a Chrysler when I, there's something wrong with my car. I want to go to the people who made my car, Right? I want to go to somebody who knows my car because they made my car. And they know best how my car is to run. Well, God made you, and he made me. He knows best how we are to live. And so as we were raising our kids, here's a couple things that we tried to teach them. That God's laws are always good. His commands are always good. And they are meant to bless our lives not to rob us of joy and fun in the world. Now, I think a lot of students see the commands of God, and maybe a lot of adults see the commands of God as being a killjoy. Well, it keeps me from getting to do this. I want to do this, and it says that I can't. So it's just robbing me of fun. But we wanted our children to understand, no, it's exactly the opposite. It's teaching you how to live in joy and peace of the Lord. We also taught them that God's grace, as we sang about just a few moments ago, is greater than our sin. Grace is, is greater than our rebellion. That God's love for me and his pursuit of me is in light of my brokenness and my sinfulness. That God's forgiveness is deeper and more profound than my rebellion. But what we wanted our kids to understand is this. I didn't want them to, love, to obey God to get him to love them because he already loves them. I didn't want them to obey God out of fear of God. I wanted them to obey as an expression of love for God. You see, love, obedience, is an expression of gratitude and thankfulness and love for all that God has done for us in Jesus Christ. And it's the ultimate expression of trust. And finally, as we'll see this morning, obedience opens many doors, many doors to the, to the blessings that God has for us. So friends, let's look at this this morning. Here's the first thing I want you to see. And we're going to look at this whole, this first part is all going to be about how obedience leads to right relationship with God. And then we're going to see then we're going to see the incredible blessings that come from this. Well, here's the first thing I want you to see. Right relationship with God is expressed in obedience to the Lord. Now, what we saw in this passage, four different times Jesus is saying the same thing. If you love me, you'll obey my commands. Love is the response to the amazing grace that God extends to us. Love is the response 
of obedience is the response to what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. He has brought his grace to our lives, his love to our lives, his joy, his peace, his kindness, his goodness. He has empowered and strengthened us, as we'll see next week, to live the lives that he has called us to live. To be able to live well in this world, even in the midst of all the things that we fear. Last week we saw when we had um, the boys here from our uh, Wednesday night program. What did we see? Their theme verse is John 14, 15. If you love me, you will obey my commands. Again, we don't obey the commands to get God to love us. He already does. But to experience the fullness of his love, to open that door, we express love for him by obeying him. So let's look at some of the different verses here. We see whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me in John 14, 21. We read in John 14, 23, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. In John 14, 24, anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. This is an important reality for us as believers. The way that I express love for God is by obeying him. Now, what is that connection? Well, it's one of trust, isn't it? Remember Adam and Eve when they were in the garden and they chose to disobey God by eating the forbidden fruit? Why was that a problem? Why was that a problem? Because God had said, if you love me, if you trust me, you won't eat the fruit of this particular tree. But they didn't trust God. They trusted the serpent. And they wanted to meet their own needs. They wanted their own joys. They wanted to live life away from God. So they ate the forbidden fruit. They didn't trust God. When we were raising our children. As a parent, I saw that obedience was an expression of trust. Believe me when I tell you, if you put your hand in that fire, it's going to hurt. Well, Dad, I don't trust you. I'm going to give it a shot and see what happens. Right? So in the same way, by loving, by love, uh, trusting God, I trust God by following and obeying his commands. Because I'm saying, God, you know better than I do. I may not get it. I may not understand it. But I trust you. And so I'm going to obey you. And friends, think about this. Think about raising a toddler. Now, toddlers, their favorite word is what? No. Sound familiar? I wonder where they learned that. We say no to God all the time. Now, as a parent, it's very frustrating because I know what's better for my children. Don't do that. That's not going to end well for you. God, we are like toddlers in relation to God. He sees, and so I trust, and I obey. We read on, and we see in, in verse 24, Jesus flips it to the other way. He says, anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who has sent me. God the Father has given me this word for you, he says. 
Now, there are four truths I want to quickly, and they're very interrelated, but I want to go through very quickly because I think it's very important that we understand this. It's a very important teaching of Jesus, and it teaches us how to live life in this world. So here's here's, uh, three things that we see. Truth one, if we obey Jesus, as we saw, if we love Jesus, we will seek to obey his commandments. Now, there are three things that are in, these, in this first truth. There are three things, very popular beliefs in the last few hundred years, very popular beliefs that lead us to not obey Jesus. And here's the first one, antinomianism. Now, it's a big word, but you already know what it means. It simply means that the commands of God don't relate to us as Christians. This isn't anything new. This actually existed in the first century. The Apostle Paul dealt with it in the book of Romans. Antinomianism. What does that mean? It means that because of God's grace, I can do whatever I want. And he's going to forgive me. The commands of God don't relate to us as Christians in the new covenant. This is really popular in the 16th and 17th century. And it affects the church today. I've run into this. Where people say, no, the commands of God really don't relate to us as Christians. I don't have to do that because we live in the age of grace. Yes, we live in the age of grace. But there's a connection between loving God and obeying his commandments that we cannot ignore. His commandments relate to us. Jesus said it. If you love me, you will obey my commands. If you are my disciple, you will follow my teaching. The second one is what we call new morality. This is rather recent. And I've run into this actually many times in my, in my ministry and in my life. What is new morality? Here it is. And you'll, you'll hear it today. You'll see it today. All that matters is that I love. Love for me and love for others is the only moral ethic that I really need to follow. Have you heard that? You see it lived out all the time all the time. Here's the problem. I become the judge of what love is. God doesn't. I say to God, this is what love is. I determine what love is. Now, here's, let me illustrate how this could be a big problem. Uh, Many years ago, when I was first a pastor, I was in the Presbyterian Church USA, and they were starting to deal with the whole, uh, the Bible and homosexuality. And what, to deal with that, what they began to teach was, we had, actually we had a professor from one of the seminaries come and teach our classes of pastors and elders, and this is what they taught. Homosexuality is not a sin because if the people really love each other. If you love, as we understand love as people, then it's not sin. It's the new morality. Not long after that, what came out was, because if you begin to spin this and keep going with it, what you will find is this. They began to teach that adultery is okay as long as everyone involved is loving each other. But it makes sense, doesn't it? If love is the only only ethical standard, 
then we can do whatever we want as long as we think everybody is loving each other. Swinging is okay as long as everybody loves each other. This is what we see in our world today. But here's the problem. How we define love is very, very different from person to person to person. I trust God to define love. I don't trust myself to define love. And so I follow his commands because he is the God of love. He is the one who created love. He is the one who knows love. Yes, we are to love one another. But we are to love one another as Jesus loves us. That is the standard of love. I run into this now as a pastor more than I ever have before, where I'm going to, uh, a couple asked me to marry them, and they're living together. I won't marry a couple that is actively living together. If they choose not to live together, then I will marry them between the time of, that they meet with me and the time that they get married. Now, why do I do that? Because I want God's blessings for them. And I say to them, you want God to bless your marriage, then get married the way that God has called you to get married. And, he has, and I show them in his word where God has standards for us that are for our blessing, not our curse. Do you see that? But in our world today, many, many of God's standards, even among Christians, has been watered down. Because we have forgotten, if you love me, you will obey what I have commanded. Friends, we see this all the time. The third one is syncretism. Syncretism, another big word that you already know what it means. Think of uh, the teachings of Jesus are just one truth. And so we put together in a bag a whole bunch of different truths. And then we go on our way and live our life. Now, here's the problem. All of us deal with syncretism. Because we live in a culture with a worldview that is constantly beating on us. Think of syncretism this way. You go to a buffet. Anybody hungry now? You go to an all-you-can-eat buffet and you take your plate and you think, okay, I'm going to have some meat, I'm going to have some potatoes, I'm going to have eh, no vegetables, I'm going to have um, eh, no salad, I'm going to have some dessert. And then you walk away. You take what you want from the buffet. Now imagine that buffet are different religions and different worldviews and different cultural norms. And we go down the buffet line and we take what we think is going to make us feel comfortable and make us feel good about ourselves. And we take that off the buffet line. Friends, here's the reality. Syncretism doesn't work. We need to follow Jesus in his teachings, not in what we want him to teach. Does that make sense? Here's a second truth, and I'll go through these truths very quickly. If we seek to know, to keep the commands of God, of Jesus, we will know him. That's what it teaches. You'll see it in a moment. If we seek to keep the commands of Jesus, we will know him. He says that in the passage, which we'll see in a moment. He reveals himself to us. It's a, great, it's a great blessing. And then we know that we actually love him. How do I know that I love Jesus? Have you ever asked that question? How do I know that I really love Jesus? Look at your life. Look at how you are living. Are you loving as Jesus has called you to love? Are you following the standards, the biblical worldview, the biblical standards? 
which are becoming increasingly unpopular in our culture. Here's a third thing. If we love Jesus, we will seek to love others according to his teachings. Not according to our definition of love. But we will love others as God has called us to love others. Now, I include this because loving God can be, sound kind of nebulous. But loving others, we see every day, don't we? So, I know that I love Jesus if I'm really loving others as Jesus loves them. And then finally, if we love others, we know that we, are truly, that we truly love Jesus and are one of his disciples. Now, this isn't easy. Okay, this isn't easy for any of us. Because what is the standard of loving others? Jesus says, pray for your enemy. Do you do that? Do you pray for those people who have been unkind to you and hurt you in your life? Those of you who have been rejected by someone, do you pray for them? That's hard. That's hard. But I want to love them as Jesus loves them. Do I turn the other cheek? Do I forgive as the Lord has forgiven me? Do I love that person that's hard to love? You're already thinking about somebody, aren't you? Are you serving that person who's not serving you? You see, friends, how we treat each other is ref reflects whether we truly love one another and love Jesus. Here's the second thing that I want you to see, and that is the blessings, the incredible blessings that come with following the commands of Jesus. I want you to see the connection that's here because it's extraordinary. It's extraordinary. First of all, the blessings are the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life. Listen to what we read in verse 15. If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father. God is connecting the two. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth, that is the Holy Spirit. So God is giving us his spirit to live with us, and we'll talk more about what that means next week. He goes on and he says that we will know the Holy Spirit. We will know the Holy Spirit. We won't just know about him as, as we read about him in a book or read the Bible. We will know the Holy Spirit as we know the Father, as we know the Son. Listen to this. The world cannot accept him. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. Think about that. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. He's talking about the presence of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will be in us and will be working in us and through us in such a way that we will know the third person of the Trinity. As we know the Father, as we know the Son, we will know the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit ministers in us and through us in this world, in this life. You know, friends, what we long for more than anything else 
is to know God. That's what we want. We were created to live in relationship with God. Your greatest need is not finances. Your greatest need is not a job. Your greatest need is not a relationship. Your greatest need is not security. Your greatest need is to know God. All of these other things will satisfy for a moment, but they will not satisfy over time because you were not created for that. You were created to know God. And what we see here, Jesus is saying, the world cannot accept the Holy Spirit because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. You know him. And that is the blessing of knowing Jesus as your Savior and your Lord. We experience more of God's presence in our lives. We read on and we see that you will know Jesus and have life as you were intended. This is extraordinary. Listen to what we read in verses 18 to 20. Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. Now, we all know what an orphan is. And what we find out later is that through the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus, and Pentecost where he gives us his Holy Spirit, what we see is that God makes us, through that process, he makes us his child. I am God's adopted child. I always belong. I might be in a place where I don't know anybody, but I'm not alone, and I, and I already belong. Maybe not to that group, but I belong to God. I'm his child. I'm no longer an orphan. And by faith in Jesus, as, as your Savior, your Lord, you are no longer an orphan. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Jesus will come to us through the Holy Spirit. We will encounter Jesus in our lives through the Holy Spirit in a way that's always consistent with the Word of God. We read on, and it says, Before long the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Now, certainly Jesus is talking about the resurrection. Before long, the world's not going to see me anymore, but you're going to see me because I'm going to rise from the dead and I'm going to be physically present with you. But it's more than that. It's more than that. Because what he's saying is, through the, in the context of the passage, through the presence of the Holy Spirit, we will see Jesus. Now, not physically with our eyes, but we will see the reality of his presence. We will see the reality of his work in us and through us. We will see him in the world. We will see him in creation. Where the world sees a, an ocean, I see the power of God. I see the goodness of God. I see, I see the care of God. And we see because God has given us his spirit. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Then he says, because I live, you also will live. Now, certainly, he's talking about eternal life with God through faith in Jesus, that we're going to live forever with Jesus, but it's even more than that. He says, as we read in Ephesians 2, read that chapter. It has incredible blessings that come as God has taken us who were spiritually dead and he has made us alive. He has given us life as we could never have had it. Only God can awaken us spiritually. 
Only God can awaken us to what is real and genuine and authentic. Only God can awaken us to the reality of the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. He has breathed his breath upon me spiritually and he has made me alive that I may know God, that I may see God, that I may see the work that he is doing in my life and in this world. Friends, what a blessing. It's incredible. It's incredible. And then we read on. Well, let's go back. He says, and on that day, on that day, meaning on the day we receive him, on the day that the Spirit comes upon us, on that day you will realize, and the word there is no, you will know, you will know that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. You will realize, Jesus said, that I'm in my Father, and you're in me. We are in Jesus. We are in Christ. That is the reality for every person who loves Jesus. If you obey me, you will, you, if you love me, you will obey what I command. Now you'll notice that I said seek, because we're all going to fail. We're all going to fail to live a life that we were created to live. But to seek means when we become aware of our sinfulness. We confess and we change. That's called repent. We confess and we seek to change. Now, we may keep failing in that area, but God continues to welcome us home. And we continue to seek to love him through our obedience. This is what Jesus is saying. And then finally, we read this. You will experience the depth of the love of the Father. The depth of Jesus. Listen to what it says. Whoever has my commands and keeps them are the ones who love me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father. I too will love them and I will show myself to them. This is the door. This is the door that we're looking at this morning. Obedience, obedience as a response, as a sign, as the fruit of the reality that I really do love God and I really do love Jesus. Now, for some of you this morning, you're aware of things and God makes things as he did in my life. He made me aware of areas that I need to look at and I need to repent and I need to change but friends, I love that process because I know that God loves me. And now I am seeking to love him in return. And the more that I seek to love him through obedience, through trust, the more I experience the wonder of these incredible blessings. The love of the Father. The Father of the universe. The love of the Son. God knows me better than I know myself. And he calls me his beloved. And he calls you his beloved. You are loved. But if we encounter and we experience that love for ourselves as we choose to step into obedience, as we choose to trust Jesus, not our culture, not ourselves, but we choose to trust Jesus. 
Friends, this is an extraordinary reality. It's an extraordinary truth. We are going into a season that we call, that's called Lent. And Lent is a season where we prepare for, for the sacrifice of Jesus. Just as we prepare for Christmas in Advent, we prepare our hearts in Lent. And it's, it's very, Lent is, has many aspects to it. But one of those aspects is the decision that we are going to look at ourselves. We're going to look at ourselves honestly. We're going to say, God, what do you want to say to me about my life? Friends, I want to tell you that the more that I seek to follow Jesus with my life, the more I experience the beautiful things that he has for me. The more I know him, and that is a great joy. I want to close with this amazing story. Let me just say, because I know this is a hard sermon to preach, but let me just say a couple things. Remember that none of us is going to be perfect, perfectly obedient in this life. All of us are going to fail today. God's grace by the blood of Jesus is extended to us and covers all of our sin. But instead of wallowing in our sin, we get up and we turn around and we say, Jesus, I'm coming home. Help me to live well in this area of my life. We're seeking to obey him as the first love of our lives. I'm going to close with this story. It's a story that Tim Keller tells about a mentor of his who's a professor. His name, Dr. Addison Leach. And here's the story that he tells. Two young men, women at the college were very intelligent and their respective parents wanted them to get master's degrees and to go on to great careers. But instead, they both became Christians. Both decided that they were going to become missionaries. Their parents had a, had a fit. One of the mothers called Dr. Leach, thinking that Dr. Leach was one of the reasons that the girls had become, in the mother's words, religious fanatics, rather than pursuing the course they had hoped, getting a career and having security. Instead, they were going off wildly. Mother said, we wanted our daughter to get a master's degree, start a career, and get something in the bank so she could have some security. Well, it makes sense, right? I mean, this is what we hear in our world all the time. This is success. And here's how he responded. Let me tell you something that's important. We're all on a little ball of rock called Earth, and we're spinning along through space at zillions of miles per hour. Even if we don't run into anything, eventually we're all going to die, which means that under every single one of us, there's a trap door that's going to open one day, and we're all going to fall off this ball of rock. And underneath will either be the everlasting arms of God or absolutely nothing. So maybe we can get a master's degree to get some security. But the biggest savings account in the world cannot stop cancer. It can't stop traffic accidents. It cannot stop broken hearts. It can't give you anything, any of the things that only God can give you. He is, he's the only significance you can have. He's the only love that you can get and can never lose. Friends, it's our choice. Will we open the door? Will you pray with me? Our Father, we thank you for your son Jesus in whom we have life.
We thank you that in Jesus, in Jesus, is real, is real security, is real hope, is real assurance, is real life. Father, I pray this morning that we would not just know Jesus as our Savior, but we would know him as our Lord. As the rich man came to Jesus and wanted to follow Jesus on his terms, Jesus turned him away because he wasn't ready. Lord, search our hearts. Reveal to us those areas that we are holding back. Show us where we are not trusting, that we may love you and serve you. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen.